This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of John in chapter 17, beginning with verse 20. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely, completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that the, those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I realized this morning, just before our early service, just how digital my life has become. Lisa walked in as we were beginning to pray. We prayed right before service. She said, Luke, um, you left your iPad up in, the, up in the office. Did you mean to do that? And I was like, oh, no, it's on paper today. And, and Andrew came in like two seconds later and said, hey, Luke, you left your iPad up in the... And I thought, no, it's all analog. And um, anyway, that, it just kind of struck me. That's a different sermon for a different day. But <laughs> before I, I get into the sermon, I do want to say just a word about our call general conference that is coming up uh, a week from yesterday. Next Saturday it begins. It's February 23rd through the 26th in St. Louis. Um, it is only the second time in United Methodism that we've had a call general conference. The first was in 1970 and had to do with some of our work around becoming a new denomination. So this is a, a new thing for us as United Methodism, as United Methodists. In specific, this call general conference is, is a one-item agenda. It is a discussion around human sexuality, specifically around marriage and ordination. Uh, there are folks that will come from all over the world as delegates uh, to talk, discuss, debate, and vote. There are multiple uh, ways forward. There are multiple plans that are being put forward, three in specific, uh, although I've seen recently that there might be one more plan, the simple plan that comes forward. I don't know how that works. Here's what I do know. I know that as a church, we don't actually vote at general conference. There are delegates from the annual conferences that, have, that are going forward. I'll say more about that in the sermon. But as a church is central, as, as you, as United Methodists, we have an opportunity, uh, like we've said back in the fall when we did a sermon series on this, and specifically this week and next week, as I'll talk about John 17 today and Rob's going to talk about prayer next week, our call is to pray. Uh, our call is to pray for these delegates so they may lean on God uh, in this time that is uncertain, knowing that God is in all and through all, even if it doesn't seem like it. So, that's far more questions than answers. Uh, there are far more questions than we have than answers this particular week, uh, which is one of the reasons that Rob worked with our district superintendent, Beth Chrisman, to host 
uh, this prayer vigil here this Thursday. Uh, this Thursday at 6 p.m., our doors will be open. Uh, it will be a time of, of liturgical prayer that will be led, and then the, the altar will be open for folks just to come and pray. Um, I, I don't want to, to sound too heavy like this is the end or the beginning or whatever, the end of the world or any of that kind of thing, but I do want you to hear the importance of this call general conference. And specifically, our role within that general conference to pray for the delegates uh, that are going this week. So, let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you, O God, that you are at work in the world in ways that we don't see, in ways that we don't always understand. And that, God, you call us to this work with you. We also thank you, O God, specifically today for your scripture. Scripture that inspires us and challenges us and pushes us as your people. Guide us, we pray, even as we read and remember this prayer from your son, Jesus. Oh God, speak to our hearts today, we pray. It is my prayer that you would speak through me, and if necessary, in spite, speak, oh, your God, oh God, that we might hear your word for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the sermon is going to be a little different than normal. normal normally you'll hear several stories from me when I preach. That's kind of the, the typical style. It's more narrative. Uh, but I, I'd like to do more of an inductive uh, sermon today. The reason for that is, is the nature of this passage in John 17. So we're at the end of the Jesus prayer in John 17. This is a prayer that Jesus prays just before he is betrayed and goes to the cross. And the prayer is fascinating to me because it's full of clauses. So I don't know about you all, but when I go to pray, I don't always know exactly what I'm going to pray for. And I'll start to pray for something, and then I'll say, but, but also God for this, and, and I can hear almost Jesus' voice uh, when I hear this prayer. And so I'd like to go verse by verse and just kind of point out some things that I think are important and that I think push and, and make us think, but I couldn't go too far without a little bit of metaphor, so we're going to bookend that with a little bit of Wendell Berry. Uh, Wendell Berry is an essayist, novelist, and poet. He's an agrarian theologian who uh, has spent most of his life uh, reading and writing on his farm in Kentucky. And he has this great short poem that's uh, it's actually more like a, a long poem, and it's called The Farm. And I want to read a passage from The Farm, and then we'll talk about the verses, and then we're going to end with it. The reason I chose this is because I think a farm is so such an important metaphor for, for who we are in Christ. Everything on a farm is interconnected. Everything on a farm is interconnected. So hear these words from Wendell Berry. This is the beginning of his poem, The Farm. Go by the narrow road along the creek, a burrow under the shadowy trees, such as a mouse makes through the tall grass, so that you may forget the paved road you've left behind and all that it has led to. Or best, walk up through the woods, around the valley rim and down to where the trees give way to a cleared hillside. 
so that you reach the place out of the tree's remembrance of their kind. Seasonal and timeless, they stand in uncounted time, and you have passed among them. Small, as a mouse at a feast, unnoticed at the feet of all those mighty guests. Come on a clear June morning as the fog lifts and the trees drip and the birds make everywhere uninterrupted songs. Jesus, where we pick up the prayer, says this. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. I want to start out with this idea of these. I ask not only on behalf of these, the these in this scenario, in this prayer, are the disciples. He asked this prayer not only on behalf of his disciples, those folks that he had traveled with and journeyed with and ministered with and to, and, but he also asked on behalf of those who believe because of their word. I hope you hear the timelessness of this prayer. I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up one day with a knowledge of Christ, just poof out of the air. Some of, someone may have had that experience in this room, and that is wonderful. But for me, my experience was that there was somebody in a Sunday school class that told me the stories of Jesus. There was someone in my family that told me the stories of, the G, of Jesus. And my guess is for you, there is someone that has told you the stories of Jesus. There's someone that told you these originally, and then you got interested and you began to read about them. Or maybe you were in a Sunday school class and someone told you about it. Or you were in a Bible study and someone shared the stories of Christ with you. It's fascinating to me that when Jesus prays this prayer, he prays for those that will believe because of the story. That includes us. Do you hear that in this prayer, Jesus prays for us? Now, don't get me wrong, I don't know that I think Jesus necessarily prayed that on February 17th, 2019, we would be here. And, you know, that's beyond my pay grade. I don't understand how all that works. But I do think that Jesus was praying for those that would believe because they've heard the story. If you think about it, when the disciples heard this, they, they, they heard a responsibility to tell the story. And they told the story to someone, and someone told the story to someone else, and, and they told the story to someone else, and they told the story of the risen Christ over and over again. And then one day, someone told the story to us. Hopefully, we've had the opportunity to share the story with somebody else, or we will have the opportunity. This prayer crosses time. It crosses boundaries that we create. It crosses all of who we are as Jesus prays for us. And he prays that though, that, that through their word, we all might be one. Now this idea of oneness isn't some kind of autonomous individuality. This oneness could also, this idea of one could also be translated community. 
that we all might be community. I, I don't, th- this is an important moment of this prayer that we see from the very beginning that as Jesus prays, he prays that we, that you and I, that we could be one in him. I know that some days I, I kind of get sidetracked and I, I don't necessarily remember it. And it's really, as I read this this week, it was reminded of the scripture that I'd read a lot. I, I had forgotten of just how much it means to us that Jesus prays for us. Yes, he knows the disciples. And I don't know about you, it's much easier for me to pray for people that I know and my friends and my family. That comes very naturally to me. But to pray for folks that I don't necessarily know yet. Folks that will come into the future. Folks that will believe because of the word that, that we are sharing. That's who Jesus asked us to pray for so that we might be one. And this idea of unity doesn't mean that we're all alike. It means that we're together in community. He continues the prayer, As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity, togetherness, oneness. Is it the mark that Jesus points to of why people will believe? of why people will believe that he was sent by God. Maybe unity is the way people will believe that we are sent by God. Maybe unity is a part of our witness to the world. The reason we're looking at this passage this week is because it's important for who we are each day, but it is also very important for us as United Methodists this week. Part of what is at stake is our witness. Though we may disagree, we are called to be one. That is not easy. That is difficult. It is hard. It calls us to listen to those that we don't agree with. It calls us to listen and be in community with those that maybe we don't even like. It is a calling that calls us to witness to the world a different way, a way forward that offers unity that comes through Christ and Christ alone. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. Part of being unified in Christ is recognizing that our sisters and brothers are made in the image of Christ and therefore beautifully and wonderfully made. The glory that is given to Christ is given to each of us. I know that some days I don't feel like I got it. I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel like I can make it. Even coming to think about this sermon in this week, I was like, I don't know. 
But then I read this passage and I was reminded that no matter which side of the aisle you may sit on, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. The glory of God given to Christ is given to us. That's the prayer that Jesus prays. Jesus could have done a lot of things in his last little while before he gave himself up. But he decided to pray. And he could have prayed for a lot of things and for a lot of people, but he decided to pray for his disciples, and he prayed for us, and he prayed for oneness, and he prayed for unity. He prayed that his glory might be upon us, that he, he reminds us in this prayer that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. He continues, I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When I read this part of the prayer, I was really struck by they may become completely one. This idea of completely in this passage is, a, is an eschatological idea. And, and eschatological can, can mean a lot of things, and specifically it can mean towards the end of time. But, but it also can mean a completeness, something that's bigger than time, a oneness that is bigger than even our understanding in this particular moment. What I was pretty clear on is that I, I don't think that being completely one means being completely identical. I don't think it means being completely the same. We hear about that when we think of the, the passage in Corinthians that talks of the body of Christ and how there are many parts to the body. I think of that with the song that I hear the birds singing in the farm. We each have a song to sing. We say that when we baptize a child. Each of our songs are important. Our call to be a part of the body Annie asked me the other day, we, we talk about this a lot, more than you would think a married couple probably should. Uh, we are in the middle of this Methodist thing, and we do love this church. And She said, Luke, is, is unity the most important thing? Is, is, it, is it that important? And, and I replied, I said, you know, first of all, I don't know that I know. Uh, again, that's, I, I think that's maybe above my pay grade. I said, but here's what I, I do think is the important, most important thing. I, I've said this before. Um, I see us as fundamentally relational creatures created in the image of a fundamentally relational God, and we are called, therefore, to be in relationship with each other because God is in relationship. What I'm, what I'm pretty sure of is that unity does not mean that we are unified for the sake um, sake of it just because, but we're united so that we might become more like Christ. We're unified so that we might be in relationship more fully. And she said, well, what if, what if that relationship hurts people? And I said, well, I don't see Jesus as someone that ever didn't stand up for not hurting people. Jesus always seemed to stand up for justice. And therefore, I think that maybe being completely one requires that we listen to each other and recognize when our words might hurt each other, when our actions might hurt each other, and how that affects who we are in Christ, recognizing that to be in right relationship means that we do hear each other, and that influences how we act and live. 
Right relationship does not necessarily mean that we always agree, but it means that we always love. And that love influences our love for each other. And it seems to me that love for each other does require us to seek justice and resist evil, to not hurt one another. The last two phrases in this prayer are really intriguing. They're intriguing because the way Jesus begins each of them, Father and Righteous Father, we're going to go through both of them. Uh, I want you to hear um, why this happens. Jesus uses this term Father and Righteous Father to demonstrate, uh, it demonstrates to us the intimacy of this prayer. This is a heartfelt moment, I think, in Jesus' life. Father, I desire that those whom you have given me may be with, be with me where I am. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory which you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world may be with me where I am. Where is Christ? Christ is in all and through all and with all. The Holy Spirit, God as Spirit, is out working in the world in ways that we cannot necessarily see but hope to see, in ways that we don't necessarily understand but hope to understand. Part of this prayer is a prayer that we might begin to see the way God is working in the world in ways that maybe we haven't determined or can't determine, but that we want to be a part of that. And God's love for Christ and therefore for us is before the foundation of the world. I don't know if you all are feeling anxiety about this week. You may not feel as much as maybe I am or uh, others are, but if you are, if you are, and maybe you're feeling anxiety about something else, something in your personal life, something that's going on, or maybe the, the world around us, the, the politics of our age, the fact that there was another shooting this week that we saw on the news. Maybe, maybe there's something else that's causing you to be anxious. I hope you hear this. God's love for Christ, God's love for you was before the foundation of the world. Jesus ends the prayer with this righteous father. The world does not know you, but I know you. And these know you have sent me. I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He prays that love Love, not hate, not division, not right belief, not doctrines, not even hopes and dreams, not even life or death. Jesus prays that love might be in them and therefore in us. Love of God and love of neighbor. Love is the prayer that Jesus ends with in this prayer. He does not pray that we believe right things or even that we do right things. He prays that we love he prays that we love. When Jesus is asked, this is in all the gospel, when Jesus asks, what is the most important doctrine? What's the most important thing? He says, love the Lord your God and love 
your neighbor as yourself. You may say, this is all great, Luke. Unity is awesome. But how, how do we love? How do we love when we don't agree? I will say there's a great Sunday school class going on right now called Rooted in Grace. Annie's teaching it. We had the co-editor today with us. Larry Duggins is with us today. So, I, you know, I'm, I mean, we are doing some of that. How, how do we do this? Go, it's on the fourth floor in the Aldersgate class. Check it out. It'll be going for a couple more weeks. But here's some thoughts if, if we don't agree. And, and, and what's hard about this is that we don't always recognize why people don't agree with us. I mean, I am right most of the time. <laughs> and I can't imagine why someone wouldn't think exactly the way I think. And we all see it that way sometimes. But here's, here's three, three movements that I would suggest might, might be really important for us to consider this particular week. First, listen. 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 When someone that you disagree with is telling you about what they think, listen deeply. Not ready to respond, but listen to hear and take in. That was what you were saying. Maybe even ask a question. Tell me more. Why, why did you say it that way? Second, be honest about where you are. When you have a chance, when, when you've listened and had a chance to respond, be honest about where you are, what you think. Trust that, that, that it's possible to disagree with someone and also be in ministry with, be in relationship with. And last but not least, be truthful about what, what you're willing to do to move forward. Be truthful about a next step, a way to be in communion, a way to be in community. It may simply be that you need space and time to pray. That, that might be, but be honest, be truthful about what you can do and listen intently to what that person is able to do. Hoping that together, through that process, we might be in right relationship with each other. One final thing to say before we, we end with Wendell Berry. I, I couldn't help but think this week when I read this prayer about architecture. Uh, one, because I knew I'd be speaking here, and I just love, I mean, this is the, being here is the best seat in the house to look out and see the windows and the arches. And and, and then I have a friend in, in town who's a structural engineer and, and I know that's not architecture, but you've got to have a foundation to have beautiful architecture. And one of the things he, he's told me about several of his, his jobs in town, he didn't tell me about the building specifically, but he'll say, I'll go into this old building, and my job is not to look at the arches or the walls or even the windows, but my job is to look underneath them. And to look underneath the foundation and see what's there and what's possible to be built there or be kept there and how we can shore it up so that it might have a strong foundation. I think this prayer, this prayer from Christ in John 17 is one of the foundations of who we are in Christ. If you find yourself like me this week, not always knowing exactly what to pray or what prayers to pray, and, and that can be any week, this is a great place to start. It is one of the foundational texts for who we are in Christ. And with that, I want to close with Wendell Berry because if you have a chance to read Wendell Berry twice in one day, that's worthwhile. Hear these words from his poem, The Farm. Near winter's end, your flock will bear their lambs 
And you must be alert out late and early at the barn to guard against the grief you cannot help but feel when any young thing made for life falters at birth and dies. Save the best hay to feed the suckling ewes. Shelter them in the barn until the grass is strong, then turn them out to graze. The green hillsides, good pasture with shade and water close. Then watch for dogs, whose sport will be to kill your sheep and ruin all your work. Or old coyote may become your supper guest, unasked and without thanks. He'll just exert a lamb and dine before you know it. But don't, because of that, make war against the world and its wild appetites. A guard dog or a jenny would be the proper answer, or use an electric fence. For you must learn to live with neighbors never chosen and with the ones you choose. Coyote's song at midnight says something for the world the world won't said, and when you know your flock is safe, You'll like to wake and hear that wild voice seeing itself free in the dark at home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.